everyone the following is a co-production of rocket green radio and taking care of business radio this is richard solomon and antonio sayot and we have a very very special guest his name is scott massey and he is with a company called hydrogrow llc scott tell us what you do so i create automated hydroponic appliances that are capable of growing enough organic produce to eliminate your dependence on a grocery store for most produce, all within your own home. And and when you say home, for us for us city folks who live in small apartments, <laughs> do, do we still qualify? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is a standalone system. I mean, just like an appliance that you would have anywhere, you could put this anywhere in your home. The whole goal is to consolidate the space that you would otherwise have in a field into a single standalone unit. So if you want your lettuce, you want your spinach, your strawberries, you just open a door and it's as fresh as it can possibly be grown within the system. Now, obviously, if it's if it's really like freshly picked, that means that you have the peak of vitamins and minerals, which I guess are lacking when something has been schlepped across America to get to the supermarket and then finally hauled to your house where it then may sit in the refrigerator for a couple of more days until it gets consumed. Absolutely. Two-thirds of our nation's produce actually comes from California. And so when you think about it logistically, by the moment it's picked, you're pulling the plant, you're going to have a few days of transit, sat in the store a few days, and you're probably eating food that's a week old. So the freshest food you're eating is a week old? Is absolutely. Wow. Now, from a nutrition point of view, uh, what what have you tackled that overcomes that time deficit? Well, really eliminating the time deficit altogether. I mean, you're looking at vitamin D, vitamin C, just about everything is reducing, degrading the moment it's literally decaying from the moment it's picked until the moment you eat it. But if you keep it alive until the moment you eat it and you get that maximum freshness, I mean, you're not only ensuring it's fresh, but you're adding at least one to two weeks of shelf life to your produce. Well, on top of it, it must taste a lot better, too. Absolutely. You're leveraging the plant's natural ability of fighting off any pathogens. So the hydrogrow, the, the mm-hmm. soil that is used is... No soil. It, no soil at all. It, all hydrogrow. Where does it come from, though, the soil? There's no soil at all. Hydroponics uses exclusively nutrient-rich water which ah. is able to grow plants two to three times faster than what you would do in a normal farming method. Uh, the reason you're able to get this really uh, fast-forward growth speed is the fact that you're having every essential nutrient readily available within a flowing fluid that otherwise would have considerable amounts of time for a plant to penetrate and grow into in soil. Oh, I see. So, how, and how long, how long does it take? So every plant's different. For fruiting vegetables, you're going to have something that's going to take a little bit longer, uh, probably right. a month or longer as well, too. But for the most part, being able to grow two to three times faster, uh, that means I would be able to grow ahead of lettuce, for example, in three weeks when it would normally take a farmer three months. Now, this right. is done by having extended life cycles using LEDs, so I'm maximizing my day, maximizing my nutrient content, and actually automating the system. Uh, one thing that makes my system really unique that really no one's doing yet is that the system is aware. It uses artificial intelligence to where the system is aware of what plants are being placed into it. So when you put spinach in, it will immediately adapt its pH, the electroconductivity of the water, the humidity, and the light exposure to that mm-hmm. spinach's specific environmental preference. And not only will it do that, but it will itemize and find the average of all of these plants growing and cater it specifically to your own specific taste preference and what you're growing at that moment. So it's individualistic for every person. Now, in terms of fruits and vegetables, 
Is it preferable to have one unit for, say, vegetables and a different unit for fruit? It really depends on what you're growing. A lot of the preferences aren't going to be so far apart that you're going to see something so wild that it's going to completely kill another plant. Uh, Right now, I'm doing lettuce, spinach, cayenne peppers, and we're trying out strawberries and raspberries soon. So we're going to have a pretty big differential growing in here, and I feel very confident that all of which would be possible to grow in a consolidated system. So. For the people out there who are listening in their cars and on <laughs> good old-fashioned radios, help visualize for us what this actually looks like. On our YouTube channels, we'll have pictures that will accompany. But for right now, for the people who are just sort of in their cars and driving along, what do these systems actually look like? How big are they? How wide are they? How much water is there? Really bring it, take us through a tour, a visual tour. Well, as not appliance manufacturer, you got a lot of stress on you. they got to look good. I mean, people take some serious pride in their stainless steel appliances, and that's something they're willing to splurge on a little bit, because if it doesn't look good, it simply won't sell. That's something I really focus on, probably every step of the way, knowing that it has to look good. So if you had to envision it, imagine an extruded aluminum frame with a polished finish on it, giving you a very high-quality finish, uh, very comparable to stainless steel accompanied by a tinted glass. So during the night, when the lights are off, you really almost see more of a mere reflection. There's really not much to see, but a very sleek appeal with no buttons. Everything's automated on the app itself. But during the day, when the lights are on and the tinted glass lights up, the tinted glass allows you to where the light itself isn't obnoxious by any means, but is more of a soft glow during the day. So it's great to have within your home. Uh, without giving too much light or anything like that. But in the day, you're able to actually see in and look at the lights and plants growing and really bring that outside element indoors. It's it's honestly very surreal to see something this technologically advanced bring in this organic of an element into my home. And I guess what's really neat is you don't have to worry about pesticides, bugs, dirt, <laughs> you know. None um, of that's worried. You know, if you talk to a lot of uh, agricultural or biological engineers, they will tell you that the benefit of buying organic food oftentimes isn't worth the benefit, well, really the risk of having E. coli and other pathogens in your food and the benefit of the uh, potential unknown risk of having things like pesticides that a lot of research has proven could have potential adverse consequences for people. But because this is a local environment sterilized within your home to where there's really no pathogen risk, you get the best of both worlds. It's organic without the risk of having an E. coli contamination. That's actually, so So you were sitting around one day at the pool drinking the cranberry juice and a <laughs> lightning bolt hits you on the head and you say, what? <laughs> you know, how, how did this start? What, where, what was the aha moment? What, what was the... <laughs> Because this is really cool and really, really progressive. So where did this all come from? It all started, uh, now I'm a senior right now at Purdue University in Indiana. I'm a mechanical engineering and technology major. I have a research position working at the Horticulture College here. It's a NASA-funded research project using hydroponics to develop life support systems for future space colonies. Uh, now, that project was much more research-focused, uh, but I managed the fluid control system and met one of the people I work on this project now named Ivan Ball, uh, who has an electrical background. Working on that project, I didn't have the aha moment to make the appliance. That was more of just kind of becoming introduced to hydroponics. I think the real aha moment came this summer when I had a summer internship uh, before my final year of school. And I went to a construction company that was hiring, looking for interns. And I was originally told I would be working in Hawaii that summer, working on either a solar farm or some beachfront villas. And I naively accepted that offer, thinking that that was going to be the greatest opportunity ever to work in Hawaii. It would pretty much be a summer-long vacation. And then I had some trouble getting a hold of my HR manager, and then last minute, I was reassigned to El Paso, Texas to build Section 8 housing along the border to Juarez, Mexico. 
And that was a slight switch up from Hawaii from what I was originally told, but I found myself with a lot of free time, and I like to draw and make concept drawings for designs like this. And with playing around with the idea for a while, I had this finalized design that I realized, you know, this is something I could really make. And that's when the spark was lit, and, I mean, I started ordering materials, finalizing the blueprint, and everything just started rolling in. Now, how big are the appliances? Like, compared to, say, a dishwasher or a refrigerator or a very large refrigerator, uh, what would these things look like in comparison? My first generation model was the size of a refrigerator, and I've gotten a lot of feedback. Oh, that's great. A lot of people don't necessarily have the room, especially in urban environments, to have another refrigerator within their home. And so the second-gen model, which I'm currently designing and building right now, is the size of a mini-fridge. We'd be talking 46 inches tall, 30 inches by 30 inches on the base. And how much food can that yield? The second-generation model will be able to grow 45 plants simultaneously. Wow. Wow. So if you scan that over, and part of the business model is to order seed cups through the mail and have a continuous membership, kind of like a Dollar Shave Club, you could potentially have at least two full heads of lettuce every single day if you timed your hyper cycle correctly with wow. your membership. But by, by the way, Dollar Shave Club was bought for like a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, just a, a little bit of profit there. So, so. So, yeah, I was going to ask you what the cost would be because, um, like, I was in Whole Foods the other day, just, you know, and they're into organic, you know, foods. And right. I, was looking at the, I was looking at the eggs. A dozen eggs started from $5 to $8. And yeah. this is organic eggs. And I started to think, but why is it more expensive? Because... Um, they're not adding the chemicals, mm-hmm. you know, like they do with regular eggs, which takes a lot of time. You got to feed the chickens. Uh, you got to add uh, certain, um, uh, you know, certain chemicals to the feed and so on mm-hmm. and so on. But for organic, you're taking away. And I'm thinking, right. why is it so much money? I mean, I found it, that it was ridiculous, and, I, and I'm thinking, well, you know, like Austin Castle, you know, the, the gentleman from Red Giant Union, and he mm-hmm. does tower gardens, and I had said to him, um, how much is this? It, you know, is it feasible for, for the people to buy this stuff? He says, yeah, it, 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 it costs about the same when, you know, lettuce and whatever. It, you know that you buy the product. Is that is that how much it would be for for the people that want to grow their own food? Because I find when you go to the supermarket that I just think the price for organic foods is just too high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're looking at a lot of stuff, kind of uh, more towards the logistics of mass manufacturing. Uh, some things that organics doesn't include are certain types of fertilizers. And so not using those fertilizers would theoretically lower the actual crop output that they're having to harvest. And so when that happens, they're going to have to count for that financial loss and increase the price as well. Uh, and then the chemicals you mentioned probably also include uh, uh, preservatives as well, too. So now you have produce that you're growing as the farmer that doesn't last as long on the shelf if you're not using a lot of those preservatives. Uh, so it's more of just accounting for the losses, if anything. I think this is the perfect opportunity to open up the next level tier of the food itself. Yes, you can get premium food. Yes, you can get organic food that probably had a lot less of these chemicals we can use. And now you can get the premier, highest quality produce available. And we're talking about break-even points. That's an excellent question because this unit has a possibility of breaking even within the first five years of the person buying it. Well, not I'm like- talking full cash back. Assuming they're spending $20 a week and I was able to sell this unit for $1,000, you would break even around a five-year point. And that doesn't even begin to account for the amount of time and effort you save. You know, where I live in Indiana, going to the grocery store really isn't 
that big of a deal for me. I hop in my car and it's a five to ten minute trip away. But for, I mean, I'm assuming you guys as well, living in New York and many people in Chicago near me who are relying on public transportation, that trip to the grocery store is now an hour or more on a bus or a train or a taxi and they're carrying the groceries with them. I mean, you're looking at time and money saved overall. Well, speaking of time, this is Richard Solomon, Antonio Siant, and we're with Scott Massey, and we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to ask Scott, is this stuff great for a snowstorm? Because <laughs> you can still keep eating while you're all buried in snow. Keep it locked in. We'll be right back. Uh, Richard Solomon, Rocket Green Radio, taking care of business radio. Solomon and Antonio Sayant. We are the team behind Rocket Green Radio and Taking Care of Business. This is our co-production. This week's special environmental guest is Scott Massey, who is the founder and president of HydroGrow LLC. And his website is HydroSite, S-I-T-E, HydroGrow.site. And I was, I was asking him about this incredible product that he's, he's you know, devised which is to hydroponically grow uh, very efficiently in your home, like that's right, in your home, a, a, a farming system, basically. And I was saying, like, let's say you live in, I don't know, 200 miles uh, south of the Arctic Circle. <laughs> and, yeah. and the weather gets a little rough out there. Uh, you know, you, you want just, fresh strawberries. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so as long as you have your satellite phone and your satellite TV and I guess the solar generator or something like that you can sit back and you can actually have those frozen daiquiris <laughs> yeah absolutely so that's really really cool so we you have the foundation of an incredible product where do you see this headed and how will you be able to expand it and once this catches on fire and it's it's a question of when not if in my opinion um how do we get people to be excited about growing their own food and actually becoming reoriented to getting food that's not with a barcode or styrofoam or shrink-wrapped? You know, that's a hard question to say because it's hard to ask yourself what demographic of people buy a refrigerator because everyone buys one. It's a universal (laughs) product. I mean, something like this to me makes too much financial sense for it to not work, which is why I'm wholly invested into it. I foresee in my lifetime this infiltrating a very large portion of American households. You know, you're looking at what's happening in California right now. They produce two-thirds of our produce, and they're experiencing extreme droughts. You probably haven't heard about it much lately because the elections were dominating the headlines, but I can guarantee you once the El Nino lets up and they start experiencing some real dry spouts again, and you go to the grocery store and you notice that your strawberries might be twice as expensive even, you're going to really start to feel these issues. And with a growing population only increasing the demand for a shrinking supply of food as we lose farmland, you're going to see a huge demand open up. I think the biggest opportunity is to start moving into the residential uh, marketplace, really just for the consumers. Well, it's also. So, really- what is this whole? What is this whole idea? Also, uh, like uh, where I was telling the Austin Cassio from uh, Red Giant Union, I said, "What did that idea work?" Um, in another country like Africa where people are starving and they cannot grow food in their land because the dirt is contaminated. And, and I said, you know, this is a great idea for people that are starving. Yeah, I can agree more. I mean, to me, thinking that people still die today from starvation. And then at the same time, people are dying in the U.S. because of obesity how is there such a stark disconnect in our world that there is such an equal distribution, unequal distribution of resources that we can't find a way to help these people? I mean, well, you can give them food supply, but, I mean, they're limited and completely reliant on that. Until you create a system that's going to allow them to independently live, you're just going to have a continued problem. I think this is really the only viable solution in these areas, and I couldn't agree with you more. 
Well, we actually had a, a radio show not that long ago uh, where we discussed the California drought at length. And, you know, it's a very, very real problem. And it will come to haunt us because, you know, water is not an unlimited free resource. And, right. you know, if you think about it, just in New York, uh, I don't know, for, for the people, this is, this is a national show, but on a local level, uh, a lot of, in the New York Metropolitan Avenue area, there was a lot of Long Island farms. And a long time ago, way back when, there were actually farms in Queens. There's one surviving today, but it's more of a farm mm-hmm. museum. There used to be a lot of farms in Nassau County. In fact, there was a lot of potatoes grown in Nassau County. That is, in Nassau County, I think the number of farms has shrank to almost, almost nothing or a relatively small amount. Then further right. east is Suffolk County, and you see what was once big farms became office parks and all this, because the, mm-hmm. the land is, quote, too valuable. Now, I always, I always kind of think, well, too valuable, but no farms, no food. I actually have the little sticker in my car that says that, no farms, no food. And the greater threat I actually find is that there are a lot of people outside of the United States buying U.S. farms because they want to have right. food security. So they're buying up our farms and maybe keeping them as farms, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the food is going to be local for us anymore. So what you're you actually doing why is – they're buying it though? What's that? You know why they're buying it? Because we have a growing population. There's going to be more housing developments. They're going to sell it plot by plot and make a good return on their investment. Well, exactly. Well, that and the fact that other places need food as well, and this is how they right. ensure some of their you know inventory of, of food. Look, it, it's it's kind of shocking to me that a country like ours has to import a lot of food, like tomatoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can understand mm-hmm. that you can't uh, get maybe sugar cane grown in New York. Or coconuts or things like that are, that are really climate-specific because we don't have the climate for that. But it's hard to believe that maybe things like tomatoes or eggplants you know, have to be brought in from thousands of miles away or something like that. Or even just sort of like flowers. It's kind of hard to believe that uh, flowers... And there's really no need for that. I mean, I've heard statistics that 80% of the cost in the grocery store just comes from transporting it. And then you also probably have to include, I mean the sheer resource cost of the packaging, the plastic, the small details people don't think about is really what consumes the most. Well, yeah, and, and, and when you think about it, um, even though you buy, and I, I do, I buy lots and lots of organic food, but lots of that organic food is in plastic bags of some kind or some kind of plastic container mm-hmm. that's not necessarily recyclable. Exactly. You know, I mean, it may be plastic, but it's not the kind of plastic that recycles well. Um, and I don't know in that some it's some instances, yeah, even yeah. the recyclable plastic consumes more energy than it is to just continue to make the same plastic. Exactly. That's exactly my complaint over the years. I, you know, I, I do a lot of lectures uh, at the Green Festival, and I'm part of the advisory board. And um, uh, I was a judge, uh, and I walked around uh, to a lot of brands and I came across this, uh, this gentleman that makes these toys, uh, recycled wood. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I asked him a question. And the question was, you know, when you, the machinery that makes this, is it sustainable? And he started eating his words. He, was, he didn't know what to say because it's not. And he's wasting more energy doing this. So I said mm-hmm. to him, I'll be honest with you, but th- this toy is sustainable, but the way it's manufactured, it's not. Right. So he didn't, he didn't understand what I was trying to say, you know, but yet he's in a green festival. Um, I understood that his product is, but the factory and the machinery and everything that, that makes this product, just like plastic, the, uh, they mm-hmm. spend more money more energy recycling the plastic itself. And it's, uh, I, I do think it's the cost of innovation as well, too. Sure. Uh, sure. I mean, you're not going to find new methods to make these things cheaper or better until you try it. I mean, it's all right. about trial and error, really. I mean, with my system, had I made this 10 years ago when LEDs were considerably more expensive and less efficient, mm-hmm. along with other microcontrollers and other different electrical components, my system 
really wouldn't have been that much more beneficial. But now that these technological advances are happening and LEDs are much more efficient and much more cheaper, I have the benefit of really creating an innovative product the first time it's ever available. So let me ask you about the... But you're absolutely right with what you're saying, though. Let me ask you about the, the water you know, that you use, mm-hmm. the nutrient-rich water. Does the consumer have to make that water or do they have it? Because let's face it, we, we, you know, a lot of us have just tap water. Uh, and, yeah. and the last time I checked, it was not nutrient rich. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so how do I go about, so I have your system, but I, I mm-hmm. definitely need nutrient rich water. Where is my Absolutely. source of that? And do I make that myself? And if I do, what is my formula? So first and foremost, it uses 95% less water than normal farming methods, mostly because it's indoors and you're not even having to deal with evaporation of the wasteful resources. It just recirculates the same water. But that's well known with hydroponics. Uh, the control systems is where a lot of the interesting research is happening right now. It's where you need to have the nutrient-rich water. And the two biggest factors you need to monitor is the pH of the water, which pretty much allows nutrient uptake. It needs to be kept in a very ideal window. And then the second aspect is electroconductivity of the water, which in simpler terms, is kind of the measurement of the nutrient content of the water. My system has sensors that are submerged into nutrient-rich water, and it has an app on your phone. The app will get a ping notification and will tell you exactly how much of the pH uh, acid or the pH base or the nutrient solution to add to the water. And so it's no more difficulty than adding flour to a recipe when you're baking a cake. And that's something I'm working with a chemical engineer as well to start developing actual incremental bits to where, similar to one of those fish oil capsules, you would simply add a capsule and you would just have a quantitative amount to where you're simply picking and placing. Now, is, Simplicity is, is definitely key with a product like this. Now, am I using distilled water as my water? Yes, I use, I use tap water straight out of my faucet in my apartment. Wow. Uh, now, I wouldn't know the answer to this, but what is the pH of the water that comes out of your tap? Uh, hopefully pretty neutral. I mean, it's going to be pretty different in every situation. Uh, mine came out pretty neutral for the most part, maybe slightly acidic, somewhere around like 6.5. Now, do you want the water to be slightly alkaline? Uh, we're talking about, uh, you would be talking more about us plant-specific preference. Some plants might prefer slightly acidic environment, and then some might prefer maybe a slightly basic environment. It just uh, really depends on the specific application. So how do you how plant. do you determine... So how have you researched what plants <laughs> like as far as their pH? Oh, well, that's just kind of as far as going to the library. There's been a lot of research publications about these specific uh, likes. It's just a question of whether or not you're willing to learn about it and dig into these resources. Uh, I had the benefit of being at Purdue, which is a great agricultural school, and have just about every resource I need and professional input whenever regarding these informations and whether or not someone might actually disagree with a publication. Now, we, hey, Richard, I, don't you remember the days where uh, you had a, a fish tank of I, salt water? I had a fish tank they, with fresh water, but yeah, and you had to check the pH. Well, you had a, you yeah. had a, you had a you had to take a sample, and then you had to put right. the stuff in it, and then you looked against some colors, and you see you what color. a little wand in there. Right. And right. You match the color, and then generally, because it was a fish tank, um, you know, there would be urine from the fish, so that would make it more acidic. So then you'd have to right. put, I guess, something like a baking soda in there to sort of neutralize that out. Because they couldn't live that's in a little complicated for me. That's a little complicated yeah, but, but for me. I like the, to simplify the, that down so people aren't trying <laughs> to match colors. <laughs> well, you know, people went to the library or people purchased books. And because uh, each, you know, different fish, you know, you had to be careful, you know, right. uh, because, you, you know, it's a saltwater tank. So you had to really do your research. And I, I can understand what you're saying. So if you have passion enough, um, people would want to learn exactly how to do this, especially mm-hmm. if it has to do with food. You know, uh, you want to get it right. So I, I agree with what you're saying. I think people would just Google it and try to find information uh, about it and how to, you know, purify their, their foods and make it better so they understand, mm-hmm. you know, so they could grow it at home. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's a fantastic idea. 
Oh, I love the know? idea. Yeah, Americans buy on convenience for the most part. And if something can make their life easier, then they'll probably buy it. Uh, just the fact that measuring stuff becomes complicated for more people. I mean, when you're talking about, I mean, the green uh, demographic of people who really want to see this technology take off, I, I think they have the passion to where they're willing to learn what they need to. But I think for the average American who might not share that passion, you really need to simplify the system to really capture uh, their attention for a device like this. There, there are certain plants out there that are very hard to grow. Uh, mm-hmm. And or they have very limited times of the year when they are produced. Like say fiddle greens, they're I think they're grown in the mountains of Canada, and you only see them in July for like two weeks. I assume your system would actually break past all of that and allow people to grow things that may, in the natural world, be harder uh, to produce, and mm-hmm. and especially if they have either short cycles, limited cycles or they only grow in mountain ranges or something like that, that you could actually bring those things, which may have better nutritional values, uh, right into your home, and you could be eating like literally superfoods. I know that that's sort of a trendy name, but in many ways you could be eating like golden berries or things that normally you'd be, uh, or goji berries or whatever it is, some of the things that are grown more in, in more rugged and remote terrains, and you could be growing them right in your home. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's always going to be some really specific variables that need to be accounted for, but for a whole area of research that this is just kind of open water, and I'm just starting to scratch the surface. I mean, you're just highlighting some of the areas that I'm really starting to move into right now. And that all kind of goes into coordination with the AI, moving into the automation aspect as well. I mean, when these two things work harmoniously together, I mean, it's a really beautiful product. What are the what are the hardest things to grow hydroponically, and what are the easiest things to grow? Right now, from a, you I would know, say a, desert plants might be the hardest to grow hydroponically. Uh, you know, I have the benefit of this being aeroponics. Uh, I use the term hydroponics because most people don't really understand uh, what aeroponics even means in the first place. So hydroponics is a little bit more relatable. Uh, the hardest thing to do would probably be desert plants with things like cactuses. Uh, they're more prone to fungus development and other such things. Uh, whenever they're in a really moist environment, I mean, they're adapted to survive deserts for a reason. Uh, with aeroponics, it would be possible to grow that because you're no longer submerging the roots in water. You're simply misting the plants themselves. Uh, admittedly, it would be difficult to grow a cactus alongside lettuce, which is very easy to grow hydroponically and aeroponically. Uh, it'd be more of just kind of finding two plants that could grow together. Let me, let me ask a, a more bizarre question. Uh, okay. We have in New York, a lot of the trees have perished because of things like Dutch elm disease and things like that. Would your right. system help create at least an environment for some trees to get their start before you move them out into the environment so they have a little bit of a fighting chance to grow and sustain? Absolutely. Uh, One problem, I don't know if you necessarily call it a problem, it's a blessing and a curse, is that the roots grow very well in the system, almost too well. For people are growing heads of lettuce with three feet of roots on it in some instances, that they just let it go and just never trim it back or anything. Now, obviously, it would take a pretty large amount of time for that to grow. It's not like they're going to sneak up on you. But you could have a tree prepared with three feet of root structure to where you could almost guarantee that plant's survival once you plant it. Wow. Wow. We have, we have one wow. minute left in this particular segment. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? I'm very responsive on my email. My email is hydrogrow, H-Y-D-R-O-G-R-O-W, dot site, S-I-T-E, at gmail.com, or they can check out my website directly, and that's www.hydrogrow.site. All right. And with that, this is Richard Solomon and Antonio Sound. We're going to take our last break. Keep it locked here on Taking Care of Business and Rocket Green Radio. Right back. What I really need Some kind of affection Welcome back, Richard Solomon. We are talking Hydro Grow with Scott Massey, our guest, and our fabulous co-host, 
Antonio Sayant, Rocket Green Radio, and we are taking care of business, and this is our joint venture on environmental and sustainability issues. Because the truth is, is that we really need to be forward-looking, and we've had some incredible guests, uh, not only Scott, who's with us today, but we've had some incredible guests who, who look for medicinal plants and, and grow foods in shipping containers and uh, do things about reducing plastic in the, in the, in the, the I guess, the trash cycle. And, and these are the kind of people who are going to really make a, a big difference. And a lot of people always say, I, I can't really change the world. And, and the answer is you can. And, and we are actually bringing to the forefront in radio all of the people who are changing the world. So we want you out there to be fired up and inspired that you can really make a difference. It's not like uh, everyone's pushing a boulder uphill and it's a giant mountain. We do have really big issues, but we have really smart, hardworking, motivated people who are not billionaires or trillionaires, who are just regular people who are coming with phenomenal breakthrough ideas that will be life-changing and you know, when we saw the Jetsons a long time ago with the flying cars, uh, you know, everything is, is still possible. And if you look back, and we did a show on Star Trek at, at, you know, Star Trek 50, 50 years of Star Trek, look at all the things that Star Trek predicted from cell phones and laptops to uh, remote diagnostic machines and video conferencing. So we're actually talking with one of those people right now. So, Scott, um, what do you see as, as, as sort of down the road in terms of large? I'm going to ask this first. Large scale, uh, and maybe mm-hmm. not just the home, but maybe um, you know, you, you, at the middle of a university, uh, the, the food people have a gigantic you know infrastructure of mm-hmm. hydroponics, and that's what sustains the meal plan for everybody. Yeah, uh, you know, my ultimate goal: I want every meal you eat to be grown out of a hydro growth system to really create a truly sustainable society. And I think this is the perfect opportunity to do so. And like you said, I, anybody is capable of doing these sort of things. I'm a senior right now at Purdue University. I'm studying mechanical engineering technology as my major, and I'm a full-time student. But I have completely self-funded my product development by delivering newspapers between 1 and 4 a.m. every night. And I can tell you that I, as much as I love delivering newspapers at night, I really wouldn't be doing that job if I didn't share this passion that I really had an idea that I thought could change the world. And there's lots of resources out there that are willing to help people. And I've been lucky enough to do very well in a business, entrepreneurial, and agricultural sustainability-based competitions. Uh, this past semester, I was able to successfully generate $35,000 a month through competitions wow. alone that provided significant grant money and also investment money from Purdue University to really launch HydroGrow. As far as my long-term goal, I want to start ramping up my manufacturing capabilities, really expanding upon what's possible and finding out how to do it as soon as possible as well, too, which is all being developed as we speak. Well, I could help you with that. We'll talk about that offline. But, yeah, I actually know the people who may be strategically important to that. But we'll talk about that. Uh, after the show. Yeah, that's exactly the people I'm looking for right now. Now, if you were to start with a product line for urban areas, how would that differ from a product line for more of the suburbia? Uh, You know, it comes down to size. Right now, I have my basic flagship item, which is the HydroGrow unit, and it's kind of a mini-fridge, refrigerator-sized unit that allows you to have produce. But I'm also looking into consideration of making wall-mount systems that would have the dual benefit of purifying the air as well as facilitating production at the same time. Uh, you know, I have a lot of different ideas, and I'm kind of focusing on one at the moment. Uh, one problem to quickly learn as an entrepreneur that when you try and do too many things at once, you're not really doing any one thing at once. Uh, so I'm focusing more on my single product right now. But I think kind of the size and scalability of the unit comes down to how I would actually retrofit it for different environments. Now, you know, what's kind of interesting is, you know, you know all those people who get uh, recreational vehicles and go around the country? In many yeah. ways, they could actually schlep their food with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they could. 
Yeah. It's absolutely possible. You know, I actually use uh, aluminum extrusions that are very similar uh, to the manufacturing methods of making trailers on semi. So you could incorporate this into the actual uh, uh, Winnebago trailer itself if you really wanted to. Well, exactly. That's what I'm thinking because um, there's a, a very large segment of our population that is is mobile and does camping and and think about this you you've driven you're tired and you want to put the rig somewhere uh the last thing you want to do is start having to figure out where your food is going to come from uh if you're running right. on provisions but if you're constantly growing your food then that actually is one less problem on the road i mean do you I'm really sure. want to open that can of ravioli or do you want to crack <laughs> open a fresh head of lettuce Exactly, exactly. That's actually a great idea, <laughs> you know? I mean, I never thought yeah. of that. I might you steal that idea. Oh. I better be careful. Yeah, well, I, even, the tr- even the truck drivers, you know? The, right, you yeah. know, the trucks nowadays, the brand new ones, where they have the compartments where they sleep. Yeah, the sleeper units. I mean, mm-hmm. it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's great for them that they drive cross country. I mean, for them that they're able to eat a fresh, you know, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables. I, I think that's that's fantastic. Yeah, those I are, agree those are things. Those are things that you know what that you present, especially in the manufacturer. You know, the the auto industry right now is always looking into being sustainable right now. And that's that's just a way of of adding to it, and they may look at it as, "Wow, that's a great idea." Yeah, you know, um, I don't know. That's Richard. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, you're in your RV, and you know, you just kind of munching on broccoli as you hit like you know Route 66. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Why not? You know. Somebody's got to do it. So <laughs> it beats uh, pulling over to Whole Foods and and uh, buy uh, you know buy this stuff which costs a fortune and knowing that's shipped from California or somewhere that's been sitting somewhere for three or four days. Yeah. Well, well I think what this guy was saying is because of all the pressure on the food chain, uh, this would actually allow, allow for some breathing room. Uh, oh, yeah. You know. I mean, you look in the Midwest, most of the corn and soybean there is used for ethanol and other industrial purposes. It's never going to be on our food plate. And this would have the opportunity to free up the farm space to where we could have more green technology brought into our industry. I mean, that's where a lot of the pollution and contaminations come from. It's just the industry that we don't want to think about. we got to start thinking about where the biggest cost is and where to cut it at the most. Well, we would probably reduce a lot of the CO emissions by not having to truck oh, as much food amounts, all over the place. Huge amounts. Right, cause, cause I mean, you're talking about the lights to keep the store lit, where the retail setting has happened, the truck that's being used to drive it, uh, the petroleum-based uh, fertilizers and other uh, chemicals used. I mean, I, I mean, just pick one. It's across the board. Without, without naming names, I have a friend who's in the uh, beverage industry. And I remember, you know, looking at a can and there was this dirt on it. And he just said, oh, that's diesel dust. Now, I'm thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> that's, that is nasty. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that is, you know, I, I don't know if you see that much anymore. But I'm like, that is unbelievably nasty. And the fact that people sort of just kind of wipe it off and they still drink, you know, from the can, so to speak, there's got to yeah. definitely be some contact with, you know, some diesel residue. Now, I know that over the years yeah. there's sort of more cleaner diesel and there's biodiesel, but but the, the fact remains it's still energy that's being consumed to create CO. And uh, I guess the less we use of it and the more plants we have that are living and breathing and cleaning the air, the better it is for everybody. Exactly. I mean, you're talking about a device that's not only going to give you food, but it's going to provide fresh oxygen to your home. Right. Have you looked at the psychological um, impact of a system like this in a home in terms of 
if you know if you're eating better food, you'll feel better, and if you're breathing yeah. O2. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of research verifying that you're gonna feel better just by having healthier food in your diet. I think that's well documented. One thing I work on at Purdue University on my senior project is a product called the BioWall. The BioWall is a system where it's a BioWall of plants that's connected to the HVAC system of the home. And this removes VOCs from the air. Uh, there's actually an alarming amount of VOCs in homes, especially now that buildings are being built more airtight. We're not having fresh air come in. And so when you have this VOC build up from things like gasoline releasing toluene or aerosols releasing other VOCs in the air, they accumulate in the home. And the World Health Organization has that listed as a, one of the leading causes and concerns in the 21st century of uh, human health. Um, I mean, just kind of contributing to all sorts of developmental uh, asthma and upper respiratory problems. But just having these plants here in the home, uh, I mean, you're adding oxygen to the air, which I'm just increases productivity and just general happiness of the occupants. Uh, I mean, that's very appealing. But I think one thing that's kind of hard to even measure quantitatively is just kind of the natural aspect of introducing a plant to the home, being able to look at that and just truly being part of nature to me is just a really beautiful thing. Well, I, I always I always love going to orchards in the fall to pick apples, pears, you know, all that stuff. Uh, one of the great guests that we've had on Taking Care of Business was a gentleman named Dr. Michael Greger. And Dr. Greger wrote a book called How Not to Die. And he, he went through all the things that will decimate you, cut your life short, um, degrade your health. And he, in all of the pages of his book, his answer is you need to eat more plants. In fact, if yeah. you eat more plants and less animals and less a lot of every a lot of other things uh you you will live longer and you will feel better and you'll have less chances for things like dementia and, and all the things that degrade you as you get you know older um and in some ways you're the perfect partner to dr gregor because he wants you to eat plants 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 that's what he wants and a lot of people yeah. You know, we, we eat things like grains because they don't spoil. They're just easier. They have a long shelf life. But they're not mm -hmm. necessarily better for us. I mean, uh, they give cows corn, but that's not what they're supposed to be really eating. They're supposed to be eating grass. Um, right. Right. Cause and there's not really many options right now. You can buy strawberries and other raspberries at the grocery store, and you'll be lucky if they last four or five days in your refrigerator before they start to spoil Right, mm -hmm. and and I, I I am I am astounded how many times you buy a box of raspberries or strawberries, and then a couple of days later, there's, they're moldy. Yeah, you know, and you're like, wow, <laughs> you know, there's ten bucks gone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, a good rule of thumb: if you're buying at the store, it's dead, and it's been dead. Right, it's just you know, you, you got to just eat it while you know it's got like you know the last last uh, few moments on it. But yeah, absolutely. Have you ever taken pictures of your food and compared it to the same food in a supermarket, just to show the the, the more you know? You're supposed to. One of our guests was uh, Deirdre Ventura wrote a book called "Upgrade Your uh, Life One Bite at a Time," and she talks about you know eating the the multicolor diet. You know, you're supposed to eat reds and mm -hmm. oranges and all these other things. Uh, the more color, more colorful food you eat, and the more kinds of colors you eat, the the better it is for you. And yeah, you know, have you actually compared your raspberry to the you know eight day old raspberry that just arrives at a supermarket? You know, I haven't done a lot of comparisons yet. Uh, it's mostly been focusing on the functionality of the product. Uh, that's one of the drawbacks of working on this as an undergraduate student, and you're kind of doing everything. At the same time, you got to focus on your priorities at the moment. But what I can tell you is that you're getting a lot firmer fruit. I mean, you're not having the breakdown of any of the structures with inside, that you're actually getting a really nice elastic fruit. I mean, whenever you go to the orchard and you take those fresh strawberries and blueberries off the bush, I mean, you get that really whole kind of rigid fruit. It's so fresh. I mean, I think that's the most noticeable feature. Well, they smell. They smell phenomenal. You know, it's like... When you go into the strawberry field um, and you pick it right there, you know it's 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 red, it's it is firm, it's juicier, 
and and it just smells. It has a an, a real aroma um, that you don't get in a in a plastic box that you get from the supermarket. It's it's close, but no. look, yeah. it's certainly it's certainly better than you know a hot dog. <laughs> but <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Everyone they're trying to find that like what's the catch of this? It sounds too good to be true. I bet it smells right. Like <laughs> no, sounds weird. I'll I'll open it occasionally in my house and just sniff it. <laughs> it just it's a breath of fresh air, honestly. There's no other way to describe it. So it, it's because we only have like a, a couple minutes left. What are what are your favorite foods to grow and why? Not not necessarily because they're easy, but but if right. you were to, if you were to, if I said you had only five different kinds of food to put on uh, in your system right now, what would you pick? Oh, I love strawberry and raspberries. You know that's some of my favorite right there. Uh, you know, I eat a lot of uh, lettuce, too. I think salads are the perfect complement to every, um, I mean, recipe. Ooh, basil, too. Honestly, I've been adding basils to my omelet a lot lately, and that's been delicious. What's my count right now? Four? And I guess you need tomato to go with the basil. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Scott. Scott, before we uh, uh, finish, I want you to just run down the uh, campaign real quick. Yeah, because we have a minute and a half left. We partnered with Red Giant Union, which is a local charity here in Lafayette. Now they're building an indoor hydroponic urban farm to bring some fresh produce to the community here. And then also to build a community where people can start bonding and planning out on potential sustainable options for agriculture within the area to improve upon it. Uh, Now their website is www.redgiantunion.org. Uh, look them up. They actually have a crowdfunding campaign going on right now, and you can make your tax-deductible donation. All right. That's and with that, we good. have one minute left. So, uh, again, give us your website, your email, uh, and all that good stuff. My website is www.hydrogrow.site, S-I-T-E. And my email is hydrogrow.site at gmail.com. All right. And anyone who wants to email me about potential collaboration, input, interest in the product, or you just want to tell me that you appreciate it and you want to meet me, email me, and I'll be sure to get back to you. All right. So we'd like to thank you for your your generosity of time. Yes. And uh, we wish you nothing but success. And in the last 30 seconds, all I can say is our show goes really, really quick. This will be up on YouTube and in every other place because Antonio has this on iTunes and SoundCloud and everything like that. And we love him to death. We'll see you all next week. Eat good. Make this week productive. And thanks for listening. Thank you. Grow your own freedom. There you go. No farm, no food. <laughs> Whoa.